Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm here with two fantastic guests today to speak about the UCU dispute. So Cuiva Nigonal, um, who's UCU at Queen's Uni Belfast anti-casualisation officer and but John Barry, who may be familiar to some listeners to the pod, he is a fellow Left Block podcaster and host of the ABC of Green Politics uh, podcast within Left Block, and is also a UCU at QUB Green representative uh, on the com- committee members there as well. So we've got two angles here. Um, I can't wait to hear the discussion. Um, and I suppose, uh, Quiva, maybe you can kick us off a little bit on this, because for some people, they may not have heard about this dispute. It's ongoing at the moment, but it's actually been quite a long one. Um, and there's a lot of big story to tell. So I guess for listeners who may not have heard about um, what's happening up in Queens and actually across unis across um, Britain as well, um, but particularly we'll focus in on Queens and what's been happening there with management and the dispute there. So I think there's nearly 1,100 members um, in the Queens branch alone in UCU, yes. the union, which is fantastic. Um, and I believe you cover quite a lot of members within that. So it's not just academic staff. You have um, people from all across the university involved. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, absolutely and you've raised already um a load of of, of very interesting avenues to go down and you also called me fantastic at the start of the podcast so now we're best friends um but yeah so just to start with basically in terms of what the union is it's often you see is often described as you'll see it in the media being talked about like a lecturer's union and we'll talk about the lecture being on strike and that's really quite a misrepresentation of what ucu is so yes lecturers and academics are but make up an awful lot of the membership, but we also have people who are trainers, who are instructors, who are teaching assistants, researchers, administrative staff, computer science staff, librarians, support staff, all your professional support staff, um, and student support staff, and also postgraduate students and PhDs are all in the umbrella of ECU. So it is actually quite a broad church. And we have, as you said, been on strike what well, feels like forever, but um for we have been in industrial action for over five years now, I think. And for those who don't know what our being on strike is about, again, because the media tends to focus in on the pay issue. Pay is certainly a large part of, of what uh why well why we have been in part of industrial action. Um academics pay and pay across the university has gone down about 25% in real terms over the past 10 years. So basically, if you're working in the university 10 years ago and you're working there now, you're doing your Thursday afternoon, your Friday for free. So pay is definitely an issue. But as, well, on top of that, we also have other issues in the universities, the universities across the UK, this is, that um, are really impacting on how people who work at the universities live their lives. So there have been issues in degradation of pensions. Uh, people are losing, could be losing or could have been losing up to 35% of their pension. Um, and then we have huge issues. So the amount of workload has increased exponentially for everybody in the university. It's, it's increased for academics and lecturers, but also we've really seen it very heavily in our support staff, our professional support staff, and those who are supporting students through you know disabilities, mental health um, support, international students, etc. And we've seen that hit a real crisis point with our professional support staff. We've seen very, very high levels of stress-related absences. So the workload issue is another part of the, what we're calling the four fives you've got pay workload. Casualization, which is kind of my area of, of um, deterred interest, as mentioned, I'm an anti-casualization officer. And again, with these misconceptions that we tend to have about what university life is like, I think in the general public, there's an idea that you go, you get a degree and suddenly you will get a job, a really good job. It'll be really high paying. You'll be sitting there for the rest of your life handy um, and, and doing very well for yourself. 
And I think um, a lot of people would be surprised to know how precarious the life for a lot of academics, a lot of lecturers, a lot of our other um, membership really is. So we've got an, um, an, an epidemic really of the university hiring people in on very, very short contracts. So hiring in, hiring in lecturers to a lectureship for 10 months, not even a full academic year. So I have been in one of these 10 month lectureships. I taught third year students and I was booted out the door, potentially booted out the door before I would have seen those students graduate. Um, that I've, so I'll just talk about myself for, for a moment. I've been working in the university full time on short contracts for I believe it's five years now. And over that time, my contracts have been six months, a six month contract, a 10 month contract, a six month contract that was extended by two months. Then I got a four month contract and then a 10 month contract. I'm currently on a three year contract, which is the longest contract I've ever had. And my, yeah, it, 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 it came to a real realization point for me when last year, at the age of 38, I bought the first calendar in my life that I had a job in January and I still had a job in December. And the idea that that, like, I was so excited about that. And then also the kind of de- devastation of the realization of what that has in your, your mental health. Um, and your emotional well-being but this is actually really becoming an, an epidemic across universities across the UK so you know a lot of universities you're talking sort of 35 to 38 percent of their staff are on these fixed term contracts so over a third of your staff don't necessarily know how they're paying their rent or paying their mortgage you know halfway through the year and that, and that has huge emotional repercussions huge mental health repercussions on people and that of course impacts on physical health but it also impacts on people you know getting a mortgage or deciding to have a family or getting a dog or going on holiday so that's another aspect of the four fights and it's sorry I've given a lot of detail about all of them so you've got pay you've got workload you've got anti-casualization and the inequality so there's major issues across the universities as there is across society of course um, about uh, unequal pay and unequal working conditions for women, for people of different genders, transgender, non-binary, gender fluid people, race, sexuality, disability, etc. So we've been on strike for all of these issues, or been on industrial action apologies for all of these issues for about five, six years now, would it be, John? Um, so it's, it's, it sometimes feels like longer. Um, and hopefully we're getting somewhere. Uh, I think in Queens, we have made some some steps forward, both in the pay dispute. This again becomes, in terms of the way the dispute works, pay is organised nationally across all of the universities. There's a national pay negotiation that takes place. But a lot of the other issues, workload, casualisation um, and equality, they are dealt with locally within the university. And we have made some some strides um, really in both those areas, in all those areas. That's, I've probably been talking for ages and I'm sure there's about seven things that, that you might want to um, pull back over. So no, that's an awful lot of, of information, especially if people are hearing about this all for the first time. But that's hopefully the world's quickest introduction to what we're doing. Well, I think you've done a good job summarizing five years into, into that introduction. And uh, thank you for sharing all of that. I think hopefully that gives listeners an idea of how wide ranging the dispute is and how many people are affected by a range of these issues, not just one or two. You know, so it's really um, there is really a lot in there. And it, it is interesting here because I was, you know, I was looking back kind of more at the, la- the last couple of years of the dispute. And, you know, I know that um, 
the there was a joint statement released in 2022 just last year with the yeah. university management and uh with UCU in Queens around yeah. you know pay condition and pensions um can you talk a little bit more about that how did it come to the come to the point where you decided where there's a joint statement being issued between the two of you again talking about what you mentioned there around casualization of workers workload values behaviors well-being equality diversity and career progression were all mentioned in as well as well as you know all, all of that fixed term piece that you mentioned across non-research staff and research staff um, and then pay across like national pay negotiations but also mentioning living wage and the recognition payment as well during COVID I think was was part of that negotiation too so where even bring us back to that piece there in just last year and how did you come to the point of releasing that joint statement? Um, if I take through the that's that aspect of it, then maybe I'll actually let John speak for a rechange, um, and and he can give us more about what the membership felt. That's probably useful, hopefully. And that joint statement came. Um, I think what's really important that that the listeners recognise is that this has been a very very hard fought battle. This entire dispute has been a very hard fought battle. And there's been times when we've been standing on the picket line, wondering is 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 it worth it? Has it been worth it? And I know that anyone who's taken Part in industrial action often feels that way. And I know that sometimes the reaction that you get online to, to industrial action is what's the point you doing this. But that joint statement to me really did solidify that this action has actually been worth it because without the consistent action of the memberships and the activists um, within UCU, that joint statement wouldn't have come about. And it came about um, after significant amounts of um, discussion back and forth with management about why we were consistently on industrial action, why we're consistently going on strike for these long periods of time. And in 2022, the threat of a marking and assessment boycott, which is that the students would not get their marks um, until there was uh, some improvement came about. And that really did pressure management um, to sit down and very seriously look at what the issues that we had were. And that would not have happened. I I do not believe that would have happened without the industrial action that was going on. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the joint statement did cover a lot of those local issues that I was talking about. So they had made commitments to, to doing research pieces and looking into how many people are on fixed term contracts in Queen's University who have been on them for more than four years, which is kind of the legal uh, threshold by which you shouldn't really be able to go to an employer saying, you clearly need me and I please have my job. Um, and I have been part, I've been part of that process. And in some of the academic and clerical side, we have been quite successful there. So there was 56 contracts were made permanent through that process back in February. There's another record that should be being made permanent shortly. And then we are also looking at research contracts as well. Um, it's also looking at how teaching assistants are paid. Teaching assistants are currently paying on a zero hour worker contract. We're looking at trying to move them onto um, a proper employee contract and give them those workers' protections. The COVID recognition payment um, was another significant part of this uh, this whole process, which was that the employers did look at how much we had to do and how quickly we had to do it and how difficult that process was in terms of switching our teaching online and still trying to get that really good quality education um, and, and all the associated critical thinking skills and everything else that a student deserves. <laughs> And having to do that in such a, a different way. So, so there was a, a recognition payment given out to staff and averaged about a thousand pounds. And yes, there were also agreements within that joint statement um, around being much more proactive on equality or pay, etc. That statement we're really proud of, and we, we brought it to the members. We always bring everything to the members, and it was voted on and agreed. And 
although there were concerns about how quickly this would would be put into place and those um there absolutely have been that process has been too slow and that is not a lack of us trying to push the management on wanting this process to be a lot more quick so it has been too slow but the management have recognized that and um yeah more recently we've had more commitments and an actual time commitments to when um when those parts of, of that agreement will be made yeah but I don't know, I just it's, inter- it's interesting um that you mentioned the time element of it because you know obviously that joint statement was released in 2022 and then in january 2023 there was um there was a strike actions 18 days of strike action there across you know universities in northern ireland and in the rest of britain as well i think rejecting was it two pay offers that were offered that were below inflation so um i think it was one of the biggest ever education sector strikes which is really impressive um and as you say like it was because you'd seen the fall of wages in real time average about 25 percent um and then as well as that people staff in retirement their income was cut by 35 percent so you're talking about pensions in a big way there in january um, and i specifically remember actually a lot of the pensions messaging um and how that was really impacting people and some of the stories um and how that was impacting people as well um then so can you talk about what it was like being on on the pickets in January was surely very cold and wet, but it looked like it was high energy and um, it was a good, good fight by the looks of it. And was I correct? Am I correct in saying then a couple of months later, you had another union join the pickets as well. Unite um, joined as well um, with some of their members um, on the campus. Um, and what was, how did, how did you get to that point? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll drop in on that because uh, I was, one of my jobs on the picket, because I love a good picket, me, uh, I'd be usually first on uh, the picket line setting up between half six and seven o'clock in the morning. I should just say for people, my my voice is gone because it was Belfast Pride on Saturday and I was doing my usual shouting out, Ulster says no to homophobia. Uh, so <laughs> I sound a bit Barry White, not John Barry tonight. So, I mean, you know, the, some of the, my thoughts on, on the strike action, as Quiva said, it's been going on five and six years and many of us are just fucking knackered at this stage. You know, many colleagues have lost, obviously, income and money and uh, have been um, threatened by by management. But the, the, the big thing for me out of this, and you kind of touched upon it there, Michelle, this was the first time in UK higher education history where we had all 150 or so universities out or who had who had a mandate for strike action. Up until now, what we've had is disaggregated ballots. And that basically meant each university had to get above the 50% threshold. Now, this doesn't apply to North, the, the North here, it has to be said, but the legislation, uh, this, this, this kind of, or Thatcher, anti-union legislation is still uh, in existence in England, Scotland and Wales. And it meant each university had to get above, you know, 50 percent, which meant in previous strike actions, we may have got about 40, sometimes 45 universities out on strike. This time we had a national ballot and we passed the threshold. And so that gave us a mandate for all universities to come out on strike. The strike action, as it always does, um, it brings about solidarity. You you meet colleagues. And as Quiva said, it's a misperception and it, it really is lazy reporting by the media that presents UCU as simply representing 
academic staff, you know, it isn't. Um, it represents professional staff. And in fact, they are the ones that have really had a uh, particularly bad here at Queen's. I can't speak for any other university, particularly around student well-being. And many of us, as Quiva well knows, we, you know, no worker wants to take strike action if they, if, if you know, if they can help it. But it's particularly the case, I think, in a university setting for two reasons. One is that we damage ourselves as uh, as workers when we do this, not just in terms of losing pay, but actually many of us who are academics, we're not doing our research, we're not get, getting on with producing knowledge or publications, we're not going to conferences, all the things that we would normally do. So we're, we're harming ourselves in a way that perhaps is not the same for other workers, where when you go on strike and down tools, you're damaging the employer. Uh, whereas we're, yeah, we're doing that to some degree, we're also harming ourselves. But many of us, particularly on the teaching side, we're extremely conscientious. And we could see these students have already gone through the pandemic, the whole online experience. They haven't got the full university face-to-face -face experience. But we explain this to students. And to be fair to our students' union, to which I'd like to publicly thank, I'm sure Quiva's the same, you know, we work very closely with the students' union in, uh, you know, letting them know the strike action that we were taking. And then, as you mentioned at the uh, towards the end there, Michelle, Unite the Union, they're the other big union on campus, um, and they represent technical staff, ground staff, and so on. There you go. Uh, Michelle, for listeners, just held up a Unite the Union uh, water bottle. Um, and yes, I'm really a Unite member myself, so pr proud to see them the, them join the picket. Because uh, they were on, they were taking strike action as well, and we did have a couple of occasions where we were, uh, you know, standing in solidarity with one another. And so we did take part, I'll just finish on this, that this wave of strike action uh, across the UK, you know, many of us involved in the strike action at UCU, we did go to solidarity, um, you know, pickets with other uh, trade unions, NIPSA and so on, um, who'd be the biggest probably union here in the North representing public sector workers. So that's been one of the great things is that internally within Queen's uh, strike action, as it always does, brings about solidarity between those who are on strike. You meet new people. You begin to get a sense that, you know, you are a worker. And this is something that I think for a lot of people, particularly academic uh, members of staff, that, you know, often there's a sense in which that we, we don't feel ourselves as workers because we have high degrees of autonomy, particularly if you're an academic. You know, you can teach what you want. You can write more or less what you want and do whatever research you can. And people confuse this high level of autonomy with somehow that we're not like any other worker, where our wages, as Quiva mentioned, have dropped by 25% since 2010. Our pensions, which, as everybody listening should know, are deferred wages. They're not something nice that you get at the end of your working life. We have earned this. They were being effectively stolen from us. But so I think for me, a lot of our colleagues at Queen's have become much more um, trade union conscious, shall we say, in realising themselves uh, as workers. And that is a great basis for the struggles ahead, because as Quiva well knows, even though we're all tired after this action, we've achieved some you know, decent gains here locally at Queen's. But the fight isn't, isn't over at any stretch of the imagination, because one thing that uh, we haven't talked about now is that we're also striking for is uh, an inordinate gender pay gap. There is a massive pay gap between people who identify as women and men within the sector as a whole. And I have to say, uh, to my shame, 
I didn't realize a the, the the degree of gender pay gap within the university I worked for, but even worse that people like Quiva, who's precariously paid on casualized contracts, I didn't realize that this prestigious Queens presents itself as part of this Russell Group, this kind of elite, you know, up there with Cambridge and Oxford, which I actually think is a lot of bollocks anyway. We're a good regional red brick university. We should be proud of the fact of being locally rooted rather than having these aspirations of being somehow up there with Oxford and, uh, and Cambridge. But I do think that for many people involved in this strike action like me, to see the degree of casualised, um, you know, staff that Queen's presents itself to students as a Rolls Royce. And what students are really getting is a mini in the sense of, you know, they're paying people, you know, very low wages on casualised contracts. And in fact, it's the first time that Quiva and I met each other was that Quiva and I were involved in a project where she was uh, a, a casualised member on this project. And I, I, I've had colleagues and Quiva would know, I'm not going to name anybody, who've been so ill with having these casualised contracts, they've been off sick uh, with mental health problems. So again, it's that issue that Quiva mentioned. People think the, the university is like Oxford High Table. You know, it's a, it's, it's a cushy job. We're all on loads of money. And as soon as May comes, we're off for the whole summer, off to Frigiliana or, you know, um, Greece or somewhere. We're going up with the wildfires there now. They go off and do our research. And for I think for a, a lot of people, perhaps coming uh, reading this in the media, they realise that the academic job has been thoroughly neoliberalised. You know, we've degraded the pay and working conditions uh, of staff, and that's also what we're fighting for: is against these decades-long, you know, commodification where students have to pay for a service, and the staff are not being paid enough. I mean, Queens is not even a living wage employer, although maybe it's on its way to. And that, to me, is a great sense of shame as, a, a, you know, a, as an academic, that I'm working for an institution that's selling students something that, it, it, you know, it, it's on the back of the suffering and the precarious conditions of its, uh, its workers. But as I say, it has brought about a, a, a great degree of solidarity amongst colleagues. Uh, and we're we going to need that, as I say, for the struggle ahead. Mm, absolutely and I think that's a really important point that you've made there you know that that kind of observation of like people you know often people join a union or join industrial action because they want to be in individually benefit from the industrial action that's you know as part of the collective other people will join because of solidarity but there's this wider piece that even if you are joining in the first time in industrial action the learning the political education that you have in the union on the picket uh, throughout that a dispute you're learning about the structures as to why you're facing these pay issues as to why you're you're facing um issues of gender pay gaps and that wider neoliberal agenda and kind of thinking about the structures and how how you know public services should be seen as a good and not privatized and you know financialized and all of that like and this is coming off in the background of you know the queens has a financial reserves of 700 million and the sector as a whole has billions in reserve. It's 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 eye-watering to think that they can't meet um to even, you know, to 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 finally cut off that casualization, to finally talk or to, to, to they're continuing to cut back on those wages over a number of years. Well, on and one just 
very short thing and then some of the other ideas that uh, John was just talking about which is the part of that joint statement that we had last year did bring cranes into being a living wage employer but that was very recent and it was also once again only on the back of industrial action which is good but um yeah but yeah because there's the pity that they didn't offer it whenever they have as you just mentioned the the, the serious amounts of reserves they have yeah. and like the serious amount of reserves it's unimaginable money. So it's sometimes very difficult when you are standing on the picket line with somebody who, you know, is really worried because their contract's just about to end or they're one of the issues that we had um, that, that that I worked on last year was that teaching assistants, teaching assistants are already paid and that during the Easter break or during reading week, they wouldn't get paid for an office hour whenever students send them emails, whenever they deal with all their administration and the the Queens when you like you say you have seven hundred billion pounds in reserves and they won't even pay their teaching assistants for one hour during reading week and will cut off their email access and will cut off their library access during that one week and then bring them back on. And then just the level of disrespect that is for people who are, you know, they are so proud of the education that they are able to give to people and they should be and they're so proud of the staff that give this education and they should be because the staff are genuinely excellent and the teaching assistants are incredibly dedicated but the level of disrespect to to just go we're not going to give you that r during you know reading week is is ridiculous um john talked there a bit about solidarity on um the picket line and that's something i definitely feel very strongly um and, and I think it's also really important, like John said, about how it's maybe the first time you see yourself as a worker. I also sometimes, for a lot of, again, I, I always go back to the casual staff for the fixed term. It's the first time you see yourself as part of a staff, that you realise there's other people who are in the same position as you, because many of our, um, this huge amount of over a third of the university and more than on fixed term casualised contracts, you know, don't even get office space. So they're kind of invisible. You know, they go and they're doing their research at home, They'll maybe come into the office once a month and then they'll leave again. It's a very, very lonely, very you know, emotional, and already an emotionally difficult experience. So actually having that solidarity of the picket line can be can bring staff together. And a lot of the academic friends that I have are not necessarily from my department. They're from people that I met um, on the pickets. And a lot of the opportunities I've had to work, and that includes work that I've done with John, has come because of these meetings on the picket lines and stuff. Um, and then the other thing that John mentioned, I just wanted to pick up again a little bit, is just that massive gender pay gap. Again, our our fix and and as happens in all of society, is replicated in the universities. Part time staff are more likely to be women, or those who identify as women. Those who are on the lowest edge of the wages are those who tend to be identified as women. Those who are on fixed term contracts are the same, and they being in that like type of employment exacerbates and exacerbates that poverty because. It's hard to get out of. It's cyclical. Um, it can it can impact if you have children. Can you get maternity leave if you don't have a contract anymore? Um, so while Queens might meet, you know, so yeah, Queens might will meet legislation for for a full time member of staff if they go on maternity leave. But if your contract times out, then you're gone. And what protections do you have there? So it, it's cyclical and it's very difficult. And I'm aware that that is mirrored in all of society. So on one hand, we do need societal change. But on the other hand, we only know that's mirrored in society because the institutions that we work in are the ones researching it. So you would think that people actually finding out that information would probably try to do a bit more or would be on the cutting edge of how do we fix it themselves. 
yeah the research has their own name on it which is the irony of it isn't it um yeah and and like even just that piece there in the the living wage like the fact that they have to be dragged to agreeing that they pay that they offer actually pays for people to live like the whole concept of there being a living wage and having a lower wage that's acceptable underneath that is does make me feel a bit sick because we're happy with an unlivable wage below that and that's what the university had been standing over now it's good to see that there's movement in that space but as you say when you take in the casualization and all of that that has an impact as well on that over time but I guess something that I I would have seen I've followed this to strikes over the last um while and I remember a couple months ago in April um is when I saw some really shocking cynical stuff coming from the university where we're seeing people putting up their pay slips because the universities had withheld their pay um can you tell us a little bit more about that so one of the more recent um escalations of the industrial action. So we've got action sort of a strike, which is not working beyond your actual contract at work. We've had significant numbers of strike days. And then most recently, we've taken part in what's called the market and assessment boycott. So across a lot of, uh, well, across the universities in the UK and across a lot of schools, um, staff were withholding marking essays for students and exams for students. It was an incredibly, incredibly difficult decision um, to, to go down that route um, because as academics we, we love our students we want the best for our students we always want the best for our students and what is best for our students that their staff are well paid and aren't have in the middle of emotional breakdowns because they don't know where the rent's coming from that's what's best for our students and we needed to find a way to try and force the employers to acknowledge and that sitting down and negotiating um improvements uh so the market assessment boycott was not taken lightly and it's really important that people know that um however the deductions that were being made by employers across the uk was uh, is pretty unforgivable marking for most academics is not a majority part of your work it's not take up a majority part of your time but universities were withholding, Queens were withholding 50% of staff wages who took part in the market boycott, regardless of how many essays, exams you had to mark. We have an example of one particular um, member of staff who had five dissertations, 50% of her entire wage was withheld. In other universities, they just went straight 100%. No pay if you didn't do that, that work. But we're still expecting people to turn up and do the rest of their job. You know, you still have to come and do your research, still have to come and publish your articles, still have to come and do your talks, etc., and all the things that benefit the university, but the, the withholding of pay to that level, to a punitive level, and some of the um, information that we've heard leaked via social media coming from some of the national pay negotiators has basically been, we want it to hurt, do it until, you know, do it until it hurts them. Um, so it, is, it was an entirely punitive action and, and very cynical. And once again, give quite a number of staff in different universities a sense of, the level of respect that potentially the employers actually have for their workers who, you know, one day will be giving awards to putting out wonderful tweets on social media about how great they are and having fantastic logos, etc. about them, but also will treat them with that level of disrespect um, and put that level of punishment on them. Yeah, happy to take the the nice PR um, snippets, but not happy to to pay them for it. Um, and I think that listeners will understand that you know that that tough decision that you've made to take that escalation in the dispute was wholly the employer's fault because they wouldn't act on the on the grievance. So just to kind of flag that as well, and the fact that 
the wages were being cut beyond even what the the tasks that you were doing is actually wage theft. Let's call it what it is. And like, what do workers have to do, um to to respond to that when it comes to wage theft happening? We see it across. We see it in the Iceland workers um in in the twenty six counties. There's wage theft there, and workers have no they have to fight for themselves there's no institutions that are supporting workers to in in any kind of wage theft uh, instances and this seems like that was exactly uh, the case here um and really really as you say unforgivable um that people can do work and not be paid and that's just accepted as, uh, as well actually, just a bit interject there in one vice chancellor i forget in england basically said if there's blood on the floor we wanted it to be ucu blood i mean this is the, you know they were explicitly out to to punish uh, staff. And in a way, you know, if the union is the only organisation that's defending our interests, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, now see that. And certainly we've learned some lessons and, you know, Cueva might want to come in, but certainly we've learned that one thing that particularly our university uh, and manager does not like is reputational damage. So threat, so bad news stories in the, in the media, you know, stories of this supposed Russell Group international spire of, of intellectual excellence and staff are off sick staff can't you know pay uh you know the, the the weekly shopping for some of them you know particularly members of staff not being able to afford uh, a house or you know they haven't got the job security for a for, you know for a mortgage so we we've learned some lessons and in particular we've learned that uh, rather appropriate just i've come back from the oppenheimer film um, our nuclear weapon uh, was the, the MAB, the Marking and Assessment Boycott. And we know, and Creva might want to comment about this, management have basically said they're shit scared of this particular, because that's what shifted Queen's to the local agreement that we, we had. You know, imagine, you know, young people not being able to graduate, many of whom, as I said, with the students union were very supportive of us. There's some great online videos of students across the water when they were supposedly graduating with no degree. So you graduate, but didn't know what, you know, degree classification, were refusing to, to shake the vice chancellor's hands and so on. So we've had some tremendous support from our, our students, but now we know what works. A marking an assessment by, boycott or a threat of it. And now we have a credible threat of that, but also this reputational damage, which is a kind of a low cost way. All it takes is a couple of good, press statements and getting the media interested. And we now know that management are assiduously watching the local media. So, we, you know, we have learned some lessons, but on, on, on the downside, and I'm sure Quiva would, would agree with me, many of us, I, I still feel ashamed and angry at my university. Why did they put us through this? Because the, the very same people out on the picket line are the ones who will go the extra mile for students. They're the ones that will do the open days. They're the ones that will go to local schools to talk about coming to Queen's. Now, I can only speak personally for myself, but I know some other colleagues. All that goodwill is now gone. Many of us feel that we've been exploited in terms of our, not just in terms of going beyond our contracted hours, but a lot of the self-exploitation, because that's the thing people need to understand, is that academics are the most self-exploiting workforce in the world. Many of us regularly will work 40, 50, 60, depending on even 70 hours a week, because in part, we have projects we're really invested in. We have teaching. We really want to keep up to date. And the management now know this. And I think for many of us now start to say, well, maybe we should do as Quiva said. Well, 
I'm taking Thursday and Friday off because you're only paying me uh, up until Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. But And I feel bad saying this because I used to do a lot of these extra things for the university because I, I so love my area and teaching and research. But will I go now of a Saturday, as many of us are asked to do, to go to an open day to, to meet prospective students? Uh, I, I can't in all conscience at this stage say I can because I'm still so angry uh, at the university having put me through this. And also that, you know, we need to show them that they can't depend upon our goodwill. You know, during COVID and even afterwards, we were fobbed off because there was a recognition of staff, mental health problems and well-being. And they were offering yoga classes uh, or a staff choir. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not against yoga or singing in case anyone thinks I am. But our view was pay them a fucking wage, that a living wage. You know, give them, you know, contracts where they're not stressed. Don't be fobbing us off with bloody well-being classes and yoga. And so for many of us, and again, uh, I'm not saying everybody uh, in the union thinks as I do, but I will now think twice about giving up an evening of my of my life to go and do something for the university, which I once would easily have done, no problem at all. Now I'm saying, why? What love am I getting back? Anything that we won, we won through the union and the fact that we withdrawn our labour successfully. So goodwill is now gone. Yeah, very, very strong there. Quiva, did you want to come in on that? Yeah, and just that last point you made, you know, that's, if, if any of your listeners are entirely new to, to union politics, so it's your first introduction into union politics, that, that last point you made is really important. No workers' rights have ever been given because of the benevolent generosity of some boss who wants to give away some of their extra money. That's not how it works. Every single worker's right that you have, that you get to go off on the weekend, that you get to go on holiday, that you have sick pay, that you have proper maternity leave, any of that has been because union activists have withdrawn their labour to the point it's become law um, or it's become official policy within an industry. So the, these are hard-fought things. And this is kind of us in that in that wedge end of it at the minute um, with, with the industrial action that is being taken. But... There are many things I am proud of that our university does, but when I look back at what their workers' rights are, they didn't give them chase because they're generous. We took them, we dragged them, and we got them. Absolutely. I think it's a really, really important uh, point. And hopefully um, in listening to this, people become more inspired and get some ideas and um, in organising their own workplace to fight for what they deserve. Um, because as we know, it's not going to happen by waiting around. Um, they will have to be fought for hard. Um, so I guess and to summarise then um, this brilliant discussion obviously kind of we've been talking about the individual dispute but even like kind of wider like as a worker in dispute has been really interesting but where is the dispute now and what are the next steps and how importantly can other workers show solidarity well queens itself is has uh, reached an interim arrangement with the employers in terms of um, the dispute so there has been an interim um, cost of living increase in wages on top of the increase that have been given by the national bodies, um, as well as the agreements to the local issues, the casualisation, um, workload and equality payment, etc. Nationally, there are talks, negotiation is happening again between the UCU negotiators and the national pay body, the university's national pay body. That one point, the, the national pay body called UCA had said they were never coming back to talks. They are now back in talks because of the MAB 
So we'll see where that goes and we hope that um, there's a positive result for that. In terms of solidarity, the tweets, social media, you know, add every bit of press. Anytime you see an article, you know, put it back put it back out into, into the community. The best way you can show solidarity for a union, go and join your union. Find the union that is attached to your organization and join it and, and take part in the fight. You know what? It can be hard work, but it also you will the solidarity, the friendship. The, the pride you'll have in making your workplace better, the friends you'll make, and you know, every so often it can't be good fun. And don't yeah. never ever cross a picket line. I mean, that is basic one of the hundred percent of all of this. And it, we should mention that we did achieve a success nationally on our pensions. Now, we haven't probably won back everything that we lost, but certainly the um, you know, losing between a quarter and a third of our pensions that's now gone. So the USS, that's the University Superannuation Scheme, which is the pension scheme. We've, we've, you know, we most of us feel satisfied we've won on that. We've got a decent settlement on uh, locally in terms of of pay. There is movement, as as, as Quiva said, where people's lives have been transformed now by being moved on to permanent contracts as opposed to casualized contracts. So we are winning, and there's nothing better, particularly when you you know you're out. You know, many of us freezing cold in the winter. We always pick the worst time of the year to strike as well. It's always miserable and cold and so on. But, it, you you know, you can't get a reputation just for being a sunny day picketer either. You've got to get out there and certainly the solidarity we, we receive from the public and so on. When we're out there in the lashings of rain, uh, it does lift your heart and so on. But we have won. You know, we have achieved this. And as Quiva said, it wasn't because of benevolence of, of the university management suddenly waking up. It's a bit like, do not believe that the suffragettes, you know, were given the vote. They struggled. They had to fight for that. And, and you know, that's the lesson of, of, of certainly our dispute is that, you know, it's like Bob Crow. You know, many of us would know, you know, the ex-union leader was sadly missed. If you don't fight, you lose. That's the reality. If you fight, you may lose. But if you don't fight, you're definitely going to lose. And I think that's where, where I, I wouldn't describe ourselves in UCU necessarily always as a fighting union. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, disparity of the different parts of the union. It's so big. But certainly for, for those of us at Queen's, we know now when we stand up for ourselves, that uh, we there are solidarity relationships. We can see that you're not on your own. Because as Quibble was intimating, and I was as well, particularly on the academic side, you're often like, uh, you know, a monk or a nun. You're kind of in your on your own, in your own head, doing your own research. You know, most of the experience of a modern academic is often at that neoliberal individual, if you like. And so you can see how easily you can fall into not thinking of yourself as part of a wider collective. But where these struggles are, as I say, ways of bringing people uh, together. But it's opened up now new discussions around you know, democratizing the university more. You know, where is the, you know, we, we have this banner uh, in UCU which says, you know, we are the university. And I think for many of us, we know we were often saying that, but actually to really believe that the university is not the bricks and the buildings and the equipment. It is the staff. And I mean, all staff from the cleaners, you know, to the catering staff, the academics, uh, and then uh, our students. We are the university. And I think that's something that, I think we've certainly uh, achieved, certainly through things like when we were on strike action, we would have teach-ins. So we were, we were off sites. We weren't doing these on campus.
but we book a local uh, venue and we present our work to each other and to students and so on. And they were really successful, you know, that we can do our education and teaching even outside the university uh, itself. And so for me, I, I feel quite, quite positive um, in terms of it, it's a good basis for for me, wider discussions, because I'm writing about this at the moment, you know, just like Quiva now, I'm writing a book, but part of it is a reflection on our strike action. And to see that, you know, in this week that, that we see Corfu roads burning, we have global heat on three continents. I'm reading terrifying stories about the Gulf Stream potentially cutting off. And what are we doing in the university? You know, for me, that's what I want to use the strike action for now is to say, well, why are we not mobilizing the, you know, the best minds in society, you know, technology, science, social science on this, the biggest challenge we have for us and our kids and grandkids. And so in, in some ways, the strike couldn't have come at a better time because I think many of us, I'm not, again, I can't speak for all workers in the university, but I do think there's the beginnings of at least the basis for saying workers should take over the university. We should be setting the research agenda. You know, the one thing I'll just finish on this, and it might be a separate part that I'll do on the ABCs, or perhaps, uh, Michelle, we could do a separate one on this. Every university across, certainly Europe, if not the world, but definitely Queens, should come out, at, regardless of what degree you're doing, they should have some knowledge of the causes, the consequences, and the solutions to the planetary crisis. I think we as educators are failing them. If these young people are coming out because they're the future, you know, going into business, the civil service, you know, civil society or whatever. And if they don't have any knowledge of what's happening to our world. And that in, to me includes not just the science of the planetary crisis, but that its roots lie in capitalism, in colonialism, in imperialism. These things should be a mandatory part, in my view of an education that's fit for purpose for the 21st century. And that's certainly something I'll be doing in the union because I'm part of the, the wider UCU green reps. And we would certainly be having discussions with groups like Just Stop Boyle, who, who have been organised, not, not at Queen's, but other campuses. So I think there's a wider issue here in terms of what's the role of the university in the context of worsening inequality. I mean, Queen's done a lot of work in terms of the sociological impacts of, of poverty and particularly gender uh, violence, sex work, a whole range of issues that we need to be, you know, be looking at. And for me, it's about saying, well, what's the role of the university? How can we in the university be continuing in a business as usual manner when the feckin' planet's on fire? You know, so for me, uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to engaging with colleagues again when we've you know, had a bit of a rest and we're ready now for the next battle. So for me, that's going to be my commitment over the next couple of years is seeing how we can pivot the university with all its enormous resources, not just the financial ones that you mentioned uh, there, Michelle, but also the intellectual resources. You know, we're in a fight and a struggle to maintain a habitable planet for us and our kids and grandkids. So what, what's the role of the university and its particular role, I think, for the union in this? And that's just that's every union but particularly our union, UCU. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that um, workers' issues can be separated from climate issues because they are one and the same. And thanks for giving that over, John. Really, really inspiring stuff from you both. And, you know, that idea, you know, that the education can happen outside the bricks and motor, mortar and that, you know, the, that piece around like how a neoliberal agenda 
you know, if that's driving the university, then it's not going to drive the research and education that we need when it comes to the climate boiling, as we're now calling it, that we're facing. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about like the actions of solidarity that people can take um, is obviously to amplify this industrial action that's been happening. And I think uh, for listeners to share this podcast as a starter, to get it out there, get people listening to it, share it with your networks, whether it's uh, speak to your colleagues, speak to your uh, community groups that you're in um, and and get this conversation going. Because I think there is definitely a wider piece around talking about the context of the role of universities in society um, and where that could lead. And as John said, that's probably a pod for another day. Um, And on that, I'm going to say thank you to our listeners um, here at The Week at Work. And thank you so much to um, my two guests today, uh, Quiveny Gonal and John Barry, who've been really, really insightful and really inspiring and um, want to commend you for the work of the union there. You've been doing brilliant, brilliant, brilliant work um, and really, really inspiring and hoping that other people can take um, the lead from yourselves and, and follow in your footsteps. So thank you both and and that's us for this week thank you thank you very much that's great thanks Michelle remember knowledge is power 